What role do you think hydrogen plays in a fully decarbonized electrified future for all? This is a question the Navajo Nation and its leadership have been increasingly focused on as of late. In today's Greenlight episode, I will discuss a recent hydrogen project Dory Peters of Big Navajo Energy and William McCabe of Navajo Nation Oil and Gas Company have undertaken with Siemens and Power Innovations International to address the fact that Navajo Nation households make up 75% of all unelectrified households in the U.S. We will also speak about Dory's work to provide distributed solar and wind systems to local Navajo homes to prevent families within a half a mile of the nearest power line from paying upwards of $60,000 per mile to connect to the grid. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. So I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and today I have with me Dory Peters. Dory is the present CEO of Big Navajo Energy, and I have with me Bill McCabe, and Bill is the vice president of Navajo Nation Oil and Gas. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you, William. Thank you. (laughs) Dory, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into clean energy? Navajo, Big Navajo Energy has been around for, we're working on our 10th year in business. And I'm originally from a small little town called Red Valley, Arizona, mm-hmm. right smack dab in the middle of the reservation of Navajo And what uh, I've always had a passion for helping my people and being able to provide energy, electrification, and others aspects of clean energy and renewable energy, whether it be solar, wind, or any aspects of that environment that I've always been cautious of, being raised by my grandfather, who was a medicine man as well. Mm-hmm. So being in harmony and being in part of the environment is really true and dear to my heart. So I've tried to instill that into big Navajo energy. And so here we are, 10 years going. <laughs> well, congratulations. You can Thank have you. a party? Yeah, no, it's really been a quite a journey, but it's been a very interesting journey. I'm happy about what we have done over the last few years and so and continually to do. So we're very happy about that. Thank you. Great. And Bill? Oh, good morning. Yes, I am an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation. I've been in the energy business for my entire career, uh, over 40 years. Mm-hmm. I am a petroleum engineer by education and originally started my career in the oil and gas industry, was involved with drilling and exploration and production for the beginning of my career, and had an opportunity to work with an organization called the Council of Energy Resource Tribes. It was a consortium of 53 tribes with some type of energy with their land base. And it was there I was exposed to the, I'll call it the tribal energy arena. Mm -hmm. I've been working with tribes and tribal energy and tribal energy development ever since. So for about 25 years, partially a consultant, partially a member of corporation, and currently with Navajo Nation Oil and Gas Company as vice president of their downstream operation. I've worked with many tribes over the year with regard to energy and provided a consultation as to the development of their resources and realized that this is a staple for economic development for many tribes. 
I'm this become my passion and my profession. <laughs> so okay. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. We can, we can talk more about it. Thank you. Thanks. I want to start with talking about environmental justice. So I got some stats from my incredible marketing manager. I'm always raving about Lisa DeMarco. Um, and I was really, really shocked. Unelectrified Navajo households represent 75% of all unelectrified households in the US. And almost 30% of Navajo homes do not have electricity. Why do you think this is? And do you think this issue is being sufficiently addressed? You have a, I guess, a perfect storm of things of going wrong. You have a layered government, not only just Navajo Nation, but just you have federal government, you have state government, and then you have local government all pancaked into a certain segment of the nation. We're well aware of the problem. Mm-hmm. And we understand the problem. It's just the fact that one thing is that a lot of our folks that on the Navajo Nation are rural. And so they don't like to live in subdivisions. Okay. And so basically you have a utilities really drive the narrative of how you live outside of the nation. Like in an urban setting, you have everything from <clears throat> water, electric uh, hookups and so forth. And, and on the nation, you don't have that. So the challenge is how do you get a line out to a particular family that is not adjacent to any other type of home that would actually have that electric power or water access? Mm-hmm. So you have a segment of the population, which is in the thousands, that live like we have lived over you know hundreds, if not thousands of years. And the amount of energy that it takes to hook up one particular house the math doesn't work out. And then on top of that, you have a limited income of folks that live in those areas that don't have the resources or the money to pay their monthly bills in that regular fashion of utility bills and so forth. So what I've done is, uh, to answer your question, is that it's a challenge, yes, but at the same token, if you look at it, peel back the problem that we have, is that we find that renewable energy, solar, wind, And providing that uh, access to a particular home is relatively available. And so we've been doing that over the last few years. And I wish there was more people like myself that would actually go out and do the same thing that I've been doing. And there's probably, I would say, less than 10 other companies that do what I do. But we have an issue where it's thousands of folks that have that same challenge of not having access to basic electricity, water clean water, and just finding how do we meet those challenges. So again, it's not that we don't know the problem, it's just how do we address that problem going forward. And so I think the answer is provide a portable generator powered by solar, powered by wind, or even both provides a access to just lighting and access to water pumps and so forth. So I think there's definitely an issue that we have at hand, but the same token, we feel that some answers are out there and we're not doing it fast enough is really what the the problem is. To compound matters, the Navajo Nation expands across 17 million acres, 160 miles east to west, 130 miles north to south, crossing three states, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico. So with regard to traditional utility service, 
and being state regulated, utilities being state regulated, that, that becomes an issue. Dory mentioned our homes are very far apart. So when you talk about running a line to grandma's house off a main line, if that main line even exists within the reservation, you're talking 50000 to to 100000 maybe even $200,000 to run a single line to a single residence, where the monthly utility bill is $200, maybe. And you, as Dory said, you do the math, that just never pays out. So the cost to electrify Navajo Nation is immense. And our current tribal utility, the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority, has been in existence for over 60 years as a result of these issues, the interstate issues, the expanse of land, mm -hmm. and has done a, an amazing job to date trying to capture and electrify and provide utility services to homes throughout the reservation. But those numbers are astounding. Those statistics that you mentioned are astounding, considering at one time we had seven coal-fired generating stations, electric power generating stations on or adjacent to the, to the reservation, providing 7,000 megawatts of power continuously to cities like Phoenix and Tucson and Las Vegas and Los Angeles, improving the quality of life of those folks. While, as you mentioned, we remain unelectrified and in a past tense with regard to how we live, the quality of life, the access to facilities, TVs, electronics. It doesn't end with electricity. It's also running water and natural gas. Yeah. But the Navajo Nation is engaged continuously on providing for their community. Folks like Dory have been doing it on a one-by-one -one basis. Navajo Nation Oil and Gas does it on a more, on a larger basis with providing revenues to the tribe such that mm -hmm. they can provide for the people. Okay. Well, thank you so much for shedding some light on that for everyone who's going to be listening to this. What are some key initiatives that need to take place to overcome these challenges? One of the biggest efforts that our nation's government has addressed is this new round of funding that we have seen last year and this year that the federal government's coming in to provide the funding, whether it be broadband infrastructure. As part of that, those funds that are going to be allocated will address those needs of electrification for our citizens, our tribal members going forward. And I think this is a probably a decades long program that will happen, being that you're talking thousands of families that need help. One of the things that we look forward to is really providing a solution. I would say on my side of the fence, it's more green driven. And I see that as a solution for folks to the funds that are coming down the, the pipeline will address our elderly need clean water, they need electricity and also our veterans that we also have targeted as being the most vulnerable of our population, our elders and our veterans and folks with a disability as well, you know, with diabetes, they have the CPAP machines uh, and so forth. We need to have those uh, continual power to provide that to our elderly and our tribal citizens as a whole. And so the nation in itself is seeing those challenges and also those problems. And I think they've taking the right approach to address those. And so it's slow. I wish it would happen sooner, but I see that as a good solution going forward, more so than I've ever seen in the last 10 years. Oh, that's wonderful news. Yeah. And really the happy. cost to do so is in the billions, not just one or two billion, but perhaps two or three times that amount just for the electrification of the Navajo Nation. And again, as I mentioned, that doesn't include water, distribution or natural gas as well. Our, many of our homes 
majority of our homes, unless you're in a larger city within the nation, the majority of the homes are on propane. So you have elders and young children, families having to drive many miles to refill propane tanks just for heating and cooking, sanitation. So it's a logistics problem and it's a cost issue to finally bring this up to standard of yeah. what we enjoy every day and yeah. perhaps take for granted. Yeah. Oh, definitely take for granted. That's for sure. I want to talk about this hydrogen project that you all have been involved with, with Siemens. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about hydrogen because there's a lot of talk about it, but I don't get to speak to people a lot about actual projects that are happening. So tell me a little bit about Big Navajo Energy's partnership with Siemens, Power Innovation, and Navajo Nation Oil and Gas on the hydrogen projects. I would love to speak into that. It's been a effort on our part um, for the last three years and the last two years with the Navajo Oil and Gas, our partner. And one of the things that we engaged in is with Siemens is to use their turbines as we fill those needs of hydrogen production and also hydrogen energy electrification and so forth to feed someone into our power grids. Mm -hmm. So Siemens saw that years ago, so we had partnered with them as well. Uh, they've been a big advocate of our process of, of hydrogen development and power innovations is a fuel cell, uh, mm -hmm. which in turn now has turned into renewable innovations, which they have provided some of the fuel cells that we plan to use on our site. So let me back up a little bit. We met with Bill about two years ago, going almost on three years this year, looking at how do we produce hydrogen. And one of the things that I saw way back then, about a few years ago, was let's capture that flared or stranded gas. And right. we saw that if we could capture the flared gas or stranded gas, we could actually create the hydrogen through a process called SMR, a steam methane reformer, and extract the hydrogen out of it. But also in the same process, there is also a CO2 that comes off that same process as a byproduct of the SMR life cycle and so forth during a, a production. And so we felt that we could actually utilize that from a gray hydrogen production to a blue hydrogen production Mm -hmm. where we could actually capture the CO2 gas and feed that into a greenhouse and create uh, vegetables and vegetation off that same gas stream and also provide a solution for electrification um, fuel cell use mm -hmm. and also the transportation of uh, the hydrogen going forward. And so it really be provided a new tax base for the nation. Okay. It also created jobs for the nation and also new technology and we feel that we are gonna be leading that effort on the hydrogen space. Mm -hmm. And Navajo Nation is really key and integral part of this whole process within the Four Corners region. And we saw that as a really big win-win for the nation and also job creation and also being a part of a new, I guess, a hydrogen re revolution mm -hmm. of seeing that our process of how we can produce a large quantity of hydrogen daily production and also feed into the new economy where we see there's a shift in cleaner energy. And I'm really happy and been very pleased with the support from the nation and also that our leaders on the nation as well. And also a big part is a, a bill has been key in this whole thing and moving that narrative to push that where we're at today. We'll be producing uh, hydrogen probably the first quarter of this next year of 2022. Wow. 
And so we feel that we're the first and we want to be in that, leading that effort as we go forward. And so it's, I'm very excited. It's been a long process. We're at the very last, I would say, the last mile, which is always the most challenging, but yeah. most exciting at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bill, what would you like to add to that? Navajo Nation Oil and Gas Company has a number of leases on the reservation. And many of those leases are produce natural gas in many instances because of the location, the remote location of these operations. We have the infrastructure to carry the gas off location is, does not exist. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this gas is stranded. And in some cases, we actually flare it. You know, the volume that's, we're allowed to flare certain volumes within state and tribal regulations. But we'd rather capture that value. But again, given the fact that there's no access to pipelines, we some we flare it, or in some cases the gas is shut in. We were approached by Big Navajo Energy, as Dory mentioned three years ago, looking for a supply of natural gas. I said, "Well, what's the issue here?" <laughs> and as we talked more and more, we realized that we there was a natural connection between his technology that he brought to the table and the fact that we had a feedstock gas, natural gas for the project. So we selected an ideal site at one of our natural gas producing locations located in the state of New Mexico. As I mentioned, the tribe is located in Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. But mm -hmm. one of our operations exists in New Mexico within the confines of the Navajo Agricultural Products Industries or our farm. Mm -hmm. And so once we get, once we start producing hydrogen, capturing this natural gas, which has a very low commodity value as a natural gas, but when converted to hydrogen, multiplies significantly. Right. So not only are we creating new revenue sources for the nation and royalties for the nation, income for the company as well, but also we're increasing that value. Ultimately, the CO2 that is produced in the processing of hydrogen will be routed to a project that the farm, a greenhouse project that the farm has slated, Mm -hmm. So ultimately, we'll have a closed loop system here. Mm -hmm. And so, again, capturing a stranded asset, creating additional value, providing jobs and employment, and then ultimately benefiting the Navajo Nation with their resources, which are fairly generous. So this is a pilot project. The Navajo Nation has significant natural gas resources still in the ground. Right. As a resource, if hydrogen as a fuel of the future does become that, in fact, the Navajo Nation is set to be a large participant, particularly in the San Juan Basin and Four Corners region, to be a hydrogen producer and consumer. That's great. Our, our downstream operation, it is the Navajo Nation Oil and Gas Company, upstream, exploit production, midstream pipeline. Right. And downstream is our sea store operations, our retail gas stations. Mm -hmm. We ultimately would like to have hydrogen dispensers for fuel cell vehicles to, to accommodate those vehicles along with electric charging stations as we develop and, and expand our sea store operations. So all in all, it's a grand project for just a little, for such small scope. <laughs> but we hope to introduce the tribe to the technology and then bring them into the future as we've always existed as an energy tribe, the Navajo Nation. That's great. I'm excited. Oh, absolutely. You can sell your consultancy services with everything that you've learned, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll broker the deal. Don't worry. <laughs> so the last question I have is around solar and wind. 
So you've said that individual Navajo families living within a half mile from the nearest power line can expect to pay upwards of $60,000 per mile for a traditional transmission line hookup to the main grid. Tell me about your work delivering solar and wind systems to these households and the impact it's had. I'm specifically interested as well in the impact it's had during COVID. So there's been a lot of a transitional change and the solar and wind has been a part of the nation for the last 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. I, what I mean by that is that we've had other developers come on the nation with their technology and proven to be helpful, but also there's a generation shift of having a lot of these systems not work anymore. So they become a thousand pound paperweight uh, at people's homes and they just lay there. When I've seen this and traveled throughout the nation in these rural parts of, uh, of, of homes that we have seen during, the, during last year, uh, the year previous, of course, we did a lot of work. And we found that uh, the funding we got was from BLM, USDA, and also from the nation as well. And this is prior to COVID. Um, We felt that that was a, the price of solar and wind has gone down. The Mm -hmm. technology has improved. Mm -hmm. And we see that we found that most people use around, I would say, about 2,000 kWh of kilowatts of uh, power a day where I think in a normal household, we're about 4,000 kWh as a regular home. So we use less. However, in some areas, they use a little bit more because to pump water and use it for a lot of their pumping of other resources. And also, they might have a washer dryer if they have water access, but they might not have the electricity to provide the power to it. So we felt that that has been helpful as we go forward. But during covid we were not allowed to go on to some of these places because they had lockdowns through, throughout the year. The one thing that they did have is access to propane, and I'll have Bill speak into that in a minute here, but what we found that during the COVID process of last year, of course, it's still going on right now, is that we found that it really kind of eroded to the level of, hey, we don't have the protocols of COVID to wash your hands. Right. Outside of the reservation, that just makes sense. On the reservation, it says it doesn't make sense because you don't have access to water. How do you wash your hands if you don't have water? How do you keep your household clean if you don't have access to water and then also stay inside? But what do you do when you stay inside? You don't have access to power or anything. So you're basically almost living in a condition that is not favorable to anybody, let alone to the tribal members that have to stay in their communities and not move around. What COVID provided was uh, that we need to address this right now. It's not a situation where we have to wait five years or 10 years. It has to be addressed now. So now that's why I've seen it. It's been exciting for us to see that the funding is coming down the line. And I wish there would be more people like myself that would provide because if you were, if there was a hundred different companies that were native owned or Navajo owned that were in that same space as I, I'm, I'm in, I think we could address that quicker. But there's only a handful of us that I've done maybe 250 or the company's done 250 plus installations over the last 10 years, which is really nothing. It's not even, but it's a big impact for the people that we've been helping over the last sure. few years. Sure. But hopefully I answered your question, but I think yeah. as COVID continually, it's a part of our, our livelihood, unfortunately, but on the nation, you have problems with broadband and people uh, just my family, I just spoke with them this morning, and they said they want to go back to school. The kids want to go back to school, but they can't go back to school because there's still that mandate of 
we want to stay at home, but now they're giving out laptops to study at home. And so my nephews and nieces are saying, I want to see my friends, but they can't see their friends because they can't go to school. And But then that same token, the mom has to go to work. Who takes care of grandma or the grandparents have to take care of them? They're not tech savvy, if you will. There's an ongoing, <laughs> it's always something. But I think overall, we have solutions. And so those solutions, some will probably meet the problem right now. And it really is a question of how quick can we move this year and in the next year as well. So, but all in all, during COVID, Navajo oil and gas was a tremendous help to, I would say, if not thousands of families of you, I'll have Bill speak into what they did last year during COVID. Okay. Historically, the Navajo Nation has relied on revenues from energy resource extraction, primarily coal. We have an abundance of coal. My, my understanding is that we had still have 100 years, if not 200 years of coal still in the ground that can be mined. We have a very large oil field, billion and a half barrel oil field, of which approximately one third of that oil has been produced to date. So significant reserves still remaining. As the tribe and society has moved forward into a more clearer picture about energy resource and the consequences of energy resource, not only development, but consumption, they started looking at renewables. And as it turns out, Navajo Nation has significant wind resources, mm-hmm. world-class wind resources, as a matter of fact. They have significant solar resources sitting at the elevation that the nation does sit at, 6,000 to 7,000 feet, maybe even higher in some locations. You have solar intensity that's second to none in some cases. So the existence of Navajo as an energy tribe still remains. It's just how do we move into the future now? Coal is, is fast falling out of favor as a fuel. Oil and gas is still remains. We're still dependent on oil and gas, so we'll continue to provide that. And then again, it's a revenue source. But how do we look at solar? How do we look at wind? And then alternative fuels. How do we look at hydrogen? How do we convert natural gas into, into power? Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we look at what, what the natural gas that's in the ground? How do we look at that? And, and even coal, the technology to convert coal to natural gas and even synthetic fuels exist. Mm-hmm. So Navajo has a strong future ahead of us. It's just how do we want to develop this? How do we conform, if if you will? Tribes have a hard time conforming. I might get (laughs) golden for that one. (laughs) But but how how do we fit into the energy picture for not only the United States, well, not only ourselves, but the United States and the world as well? That's the question that remains right now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and telling us about all the wonderful work that you're doing. I think it's fantastic. And thanks again for joining me today. You bet, Catherine. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about what industry-leading clean tech companies first post new job openings, from development to finance to marketing, by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube, where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.